Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I know we've uh, been in the book a lot, and I haven't heard... I haven't heard every message that's been preached. I've listened to some on the podcast, but Laura and I are out a lot because of uh, the kids. But um, Kobe did a great job a couple of weeks ago of giving a lot of history. I love that. If you were here, it was great. If you weren't, you ought to listen to it. Uh, but today I'm going to read over a passage that we've probably been through a couple of times. But I'd like to touch on something that uh, I don't think that y'all... that y'all have learned about. So uh, we'll go ahead and get into it here. Ephesians 1, 3. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I love passages in the Bible that give us a glimpse beyond earth. You know, I love, I love passages in the Bible that kind of give us a glimpse into God's dealings and His plan and His activity uh, before time or in heaven or, or things that we couldn't otherwise see. Uh, I love passages like that, and this is kind of one of them. So uh, Paul says, after his short introduction, he says, How we praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we belong to Christ. Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan was, has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the wonderful kindness he has, he has poured out on us because we belong to his dearly loved Son. He is so rich in kindness that he purchased our freedom through the blood of his Son, and our sins are forgiven. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God's secret plan has, been re- has now been revealed to us. It is a plan centered on Christ, designed long ago according to his good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because of Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us from the beginning, and all things happen just as he decided long ago. That's a great passage, and there's so much good stuff. Trent, welcome to the ladies' meeting, my friend. I'm glad you're here. Uh, little 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 man in here. That's we got two, three of us. Uh, love this passage. There's so much in it, but there's there's a phrase in this passage that appears twice that makes a lot of people a little uncomfortable. In fact, you've probably read it before, uh, kind of second guessed on it, and then just kept going. And I want to read you two verses, and and I'll see if you can pick up on it. Uh, the first is verse 4. We'll read it again. It says, Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And skipping down to 11, it says, Furthermore, because of Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us from the beginning, and all things happen just as he decided long ago. So let me ask you, can anybody guess what the phrase is that makes people a little uncomfortable? Anybody have any idea? Huh? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that God, that God, God chose us. That's called predestination, like, like uh, what Trent said. And it makes a lot of people uncomfortable that God chose us because a lot, we like to think that we chose God. And in a sense, it's kind of both true, and, and, and I want to show you that tonight. But it's an undeniable biblical fact that God chose us. That every single person who has believed on Jesus was chosen by God. Uh, and not only that, it talks about before time began that we were chosen by God. And, you know, some people don't think that it's fair that God has a choice on who will have eternal life. It just doesn't sound right at first glimpse to a lot of people. But let me, uh, let me just touch on something here. I, I give you an example. Uh, you know, a lot of people think that there will be no marriage in heaven. And for the most, for the most part, that is true. That is biblical. Uh, because marriage on earth is the closest thing, it's the closest example that we have of God's relationship to the church. But it's biblically wrong to say that there will be no marriage in heaven because the Bible teaches that there will be one marriage in heaven, Christ to the church. And so forever and ever, you know, whenever, whenever the church is raptured, and brought up to heaven, the Bible says that there will be a, a, a wedding ceremony and Christ will be married to the church and that will be the one marriage that will continue on forever and ever and we'll all get to be a part of being married to the perfect, most fulfilling, most satisfying spouse that there could be, Jesus Christ. And so that's the one marriage in church, uh, or in heaven, that there will be. Now let me ask you a question. How would you feel if you didn't get to choose who you married? That wouldn't be very cool, would it? I wouldn't like that. Uh, but we have a problem with God choosing who He will be married to through Jesus Christ. And it's the same thing. Uh, just as we have a choice of who our mate will be, God chooses whom he will be married to forever and ever and ever, you know? And, and so it, it kind of puts things in a little bit of perspective. But I want to show, show you some scriptures just so you know I'm not taking this out of context or anything. Uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Verse 48. It says, When the Gentiles heard this, the gospel, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were appointed to eternal life, chosen, became believers. Now turn over to uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans eight twenty nine. It says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. 
Now you flip over a page to Acts, cha- or I'm sorry, Romans chapter nine, verse ten says, "This son was the ancestor, was our ancestor Isaac. When he grew up, he married Rebecca, who gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God." This message proves that God chooses according to his own plan, not according to our good or bad works. She was told, the descendants of your older son will serve the descendants of your younger son. In the words of the scripture, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Now some people would say that it's not fair that before they were born, God loved Jacob and rejected Esau. And we're going to get back to this, uh, but for now, I just want to show you a couple more scriptures about, about God choosing us. So turn over one book to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 says, God's ways, God's ways seems foolish to the Jews because they want a sign from heaven to prove it is true. And it is foolish to the Greeks, because they believe only what agrees with their own wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the mighty power of God, and the wonderful wisdom of God. And then we don't have to turn there. It's a very short verse that you're familiar with, but Matthew 22, 14 says, For many are called, but few are chosen. And so I could just go on and on. Me and Ryan have had talks about this. I wrote wrote like a a 20-page scripture paper that we've been kind of bouncing between each other and, and that talks about all this stuff. And, but it's undeniably biblical that God chose us. It's undeniably biblical. And I want you to notice in Ephesians uh, 4 through 5 that, that God chose us before he created the world. And so the cool thing about that is, something that, that should make us happy is, is that God didn't choose us after we cleaned up our act, after we made ourselves all right and presentable to him. He chose us from the beginning of the world before we had chosen him. And so uh, let me show you something. Romans chapter 5, very familiar scripture. But that falls right into line with that. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Yeah, verse 6 says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at, la- at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, no one is likely to die for a good person, though someone might be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And so that's, that's to me, that's just awesome. That's the awesome grace of God. Before the world had began, before your life had started, God sent Jesus to die for your sins, to redeem you, to redeem us from our sin, because he chose us to be married to him, and it required the ransom of Jesus Christ. But the question uh, has to be asked, what does God base his decision 
to choose on? What's it based on? Now, there's some people who would tell you that, that God unconditionally, with no reason whatsoever, uh, chooses some for salvation and chooses some for damnation. A lot of people believe that. There's a lot of people that believe that. Um, if I got into a room with someone who was very versed in this, I probably could not completely prove them wrong. Uh, and I probably can't completely prove myself right that that's not correct, but I, I, all I can do is take the full context of Scripture and come up with the best conclusion that I can with the revelation of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, you might have heard of the word uh, Calvinism. That's one of the key beliefs of, of uh, Calvinism, is that God unconditionally, with no rhyme or reason, chooses some for salvation and chooses some for damnation. And the only reason I bring up Calvinism, and, and I, I want to throw out one more term, the, the contrasting uh, teach, teaching to Calvinism is called Arminianism. And, and these two... Um, I guess, doctrines or passive belief or, or, or belief sets have caused a lot of division in the church. Just a lot of division. And, and so the reason I bring them up is, is that you might hear these things, uh, these two terms or these two things of belief, and, and, and they, a, lot of, a lot of people have allowed that to create division in the church, but I think that what we need to do is for sure as the church agree on the greater doctrines of salvation by faith in Jesus, water baptism, uh, the things that, that are clearly in the Scripture, and then, uh, you know, on these, on these deeper things, I'll call them, uh, we can agree to disagree and, and uh, not allow them to bring division in the church, but also we are responsible to know what we believe according to the Scripture. Okay? And, and I just want to give you one Scripture uh, about why I don't believe in that, in that statement that God chooses uh, some for salvation unconditionally and He chooses some for damnation unconditionally. And there, there's many more Scriptures that support this Scripture, but First Timothy 2.4 says uh, that God desires all men to be saved and to understand the truth. You know, in, uh, I believe it's Ezekiel, I can't remember what chapter, God says that, that, that I have no pleasure in the soul that dies. You know, I have no pleasure in, in, the, in, the, in the one that dies because of judgment. And he says, therefore, turn and live. And it's all throughout the Bible that, that, that God's salvation isn't meant for, I believe, for just some few. But God's salvation is offered to all and so that's why I don't believe in, in the unconditional election. So we come back to the, the question, though. Uh, how did God choose us? And for that, I want to turn to Romans chapter 8 again. We already read this scripture, but I want to read it again. Romans eight twenty nine says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. So you see, before God chose us, God knew us. 
Now that's kind of hard to understand. And he chose us in his foreknowledge. And the reason that he can do that is, is because God knew all things from the beginning of time. He, he, he is what they call omniscient, all-knowing. There's nothing hidden in the future or the past. In fact, God lives in a realm outside of time. We are inside of time. Our lives are based on time. The sun revolves. Our watches tick. But God sees the past as clearly as he sees the present. And he can see what we consider the future like one big book. And he can see the whole he can see the whole span of time, and he knows the whole span of wisdom and knowledge throughout the span of time. Uh, you know, Psalm one thirty nine sixteen says that uh, that God saw us before we were born; that every day of our life was written in His book, and every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And so, everything that we have done and everything that we will do, God knew before it all started. Uh, which is is a little bit mind boggling, you know. In this in this in this same psalm, uh, I can't remember if this is a psalm of David, but the psalmist says, he says, "Such knowledge is too wonderful, too great for me to comprehend. I can't understand it, but by the unction of the Holy Spirit, I know it to be true." And so God knew all things, uh, and it's hard for us to understand foreknowledge because we don't have the advantage of omniscience, but. Uh, Jude one twenty five says that all glory, majesty, power, and authority are God's before all time and in the present and beyond all time. So even into the future and into eternity, God knows it all. He's got it. He's got it all. And so that's important. That's an important con- uh, context to understand how God chose us before, before we were born. So it was on the basis of God's omniscience, knowing everything through the span of time, that he made his elections. Now in 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 1, you can turn there if you want, I've got it in my notes, so I'm not going to go there. Uh, He's opening up his letter and he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So the key phrase, I've got it underlined in my notes there, elect, chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So to me, it's very clear that God elects by what he knew from before the beginning of time. So, let me give you an example, because the examples help me. Uh, If we had foreknowledge, we would never invest in any stocks or bonds or businesses or any type of venture that we knew was going to fail or lose money. The reason we wouldn't do that is because if we had foreknowledge, then we would know which stocks are going to win, uh, which stocks are going to, are going to uh, appreciate, which are going to bomb and, and go into the toilet. 
and, and what business endeavors would be successful. Uh, you know, who in here, if you could go back and start Starbucks, you know, I'd start Starbucks, you know, because it's a, it's a million, billion dollar company. You know, and, it, and, and it's a home run, and you, and you know that, it, that you would have known that it's going to do well, and so you would be willing to invest in it, right? Is that logical? And so God, in His foreknowledge, God knew who would chose him, choose Him, and that's who He chose. God knew that you were going to choose Him. He knew that whenever the gospel was spoken into your life, that it would shine like a light into your heart, and you would, you would believe by faith. Now, now, you know, the Bible even says that the faith that we have is given by God, but that, but that we would act on that faith and put our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ and not harden our heart towards Him and deny Him and that we would put our trust in Him and be born again. And so He chose us. And the very fact that God chose us means that we win. It means that we are going to win the prize of salvation. It is a guarantee that if you believed on Jesus, then God chose you and you're going to win. And so that's an awesome thing. But the scripture does balance uh, God's election with the choice of man. Uh, Revelation twenty two seventeen says, Yet we must remember that the word says, Whosoever will can come and drink of eternal life. And so predestination and divine election does not annul the choice that every person has with what we will do with Jesus. Like I said, the moment a person decides to trust in Jesus, they find that they were chosen. Those who don't choose the Lord are not chosen. They find at the end, probably whenever they stand at the brink of eternity, that they were not chosen. Whosoever will is what the Scripture says. Now, having kind of established that, I want to go back to that tough passage about Jacob and Esau. Uh, so we're right here. Turn back to Romans chapter 9. Uh, and, and, you know, after, directly after that, that tough passage about Jacob and Esau, there's an equally difficult passage about Pharaoh from Exodus. And so I'm... It just rolls right into it. So we'll just read the whole thing, uh, verse 10 through 18. So it says, uh, This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he grew up, he married Rebekah, who gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message proves that God chooses according to his own plan, not according to our good or bad works. She was told, the descendants of your older son will serve the descendants of your younger son. In the words of the scriptures, I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. What can we say? Was God being unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So receiving God's promise is not up to us. We can't get it by choosing it or working hard for it. God will show mercy to anyone he chooses. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you, and so that my fame might spread throughout the earth. So you see, God shows mercy to some 
just because he wants to, and he chooses to make some people refuse to listen. Uh, Verse 18 in the New King James Version says, Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. Now this passage seems to speak very strongly of unconditional election. What I said that that I don't necessarily agree with, um, according to the Bible, and what I've seen in the Bible. Yet in light of all of Scripture, we know that it is God's will, like we said, that none should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. So how do we reconcile this? Uh, the, the passage that Paul's referring to is uh, it's making reference to Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. And throughout the book of Exodus, if you're familiar at all, through, through the plagues, whenever uh, Moses was telling Pharaoh to uh, let the people go, uh, it says over and over and over again that both Pharaoh hardened his heart and Pharaoh hardened his own heart and that God hardened the heart of the Pharaoh. And uh, let's see, in the context of the reference passage, Exodus 9.12 is the passage that specifically says that, or one of the passages that says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, there's two words, and this is one of the one of the issues, I guess, we have with a translated Bible, and sometimes it takes a little bit more uh, studiousness to see these things, uh, but there's two words in the book of Exodus that are trans, uh, translated hardened. The first word describing Pharaoh hardening his own heart is kabod, and it literally means to make one's heart hard, to reject, to uh, to become callous towards, and, and to make oneself that way. The word most often used to describe God hardening his heart, the heart of Pharaoh, is chizak, and can literally be translated to strengthen a position that is already hardened. And so that, that kind of sheds some light on what's going on in Exodus. So it appears from the Scripture that God, knowing that Pharaoh would be hard towards him in his foreknowledge, did not choose to show mercy to him, but strengthen his already established position of hardness in his heart to bring himself glory as he delivered Egypt miraculously through the plagues uh, fr- from Egypt. Now, I was thinking, well, is there an opposite example where uh, someone was hard towards God and God... Uh, kind of miraculously had mercy on them. And the Apostle Paul came to my mind. Um, I have written here, conversely, the argument can be made that the Apostle Paul was hard towards the new covenant purposes of God, but God chose to have mercy upon him by miraculously encountering him on the road to Damascus and setting him on a course, again for God's glory, and specifically for Paul to be an apostle to the Gentiles and the Holy Spirit-inspired writer of the majority of the New Testament. So we see an example here. God has mercy on whom he will have mercy, and he hardens whom he chooses to harden. 
But it wasn't, uh, it wasn't in conflict with the Scripture that Pharaoh's heart was hardened because Pharaoh had the choice and he chose to reject God. And in that rejection, you know, you've heard God works all things together for good uh, to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And so these, these Israelite people who were under the oppression of this man who had hardened himself to God, uh, God turned that for the good of His people by strengthening that position so that he could show his power and his glory against the Pharaoh. That makes sense? It's, it's, it's an interesting thing, but it, it just brings uh, so much clarity, uh, just a little bit of understanding of the text. So, uh, now we may not fully understand this passage, but we can't always expect to fully understand uh, an eternal, omniscient, all-wise, all-knowing, outside-of-time God. You know, it's okay sometimes uh, not to understand everything in the Bible, you know, but we, we, do, we do believe it by faith and we reconcile it with the other Scripture and make sure that our interpretation of the Scripture lines up with all of Scripture. And so uh, I, feel, I feel that that does. And um, so Paul kind of concludes this uh, this passage in verse 19 with, with a little bit of saying, hey, you may not fully get this, but this is the way it is. This is the revelation that I've received from God. So he says, uh, let's see, what verse did I say to start? 19. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not listening? Haven't they simply done what he made them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to criticize God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who made it, Why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw in the garbage? God has every right to exercise his judgment and his power, but he also has the right to be very patient with those who are the objects of his judgment and are fit only for destruction. He also has the right to pour out the riches of His glory upon those He prepared to be the objects of His mercy, even upon us whom He selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. So, uh, you know, having established that God did choose us, that God chooses the believers, we have to ask ourselves, what is the significance of that? Why is that something that's in the Bible over and over and over again. What does God want us to understand as the chosen? uh, Now that that we understand that that we are chosen by Him, what what does God want to show us about that? What are the benefits of the elect? Uh, For that, I just want to read two passages. Keep your finger in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to flip back over to Ephesians and just read that first, that first little scripture that we read, uh, verse 4 through 5 in chapter 1. And these, these are kind of parallel passages that, that reveal um, the benefits of being the elect of God. So you can listen. If you listen to the two passages, you'll see the overlap. Uh, Ephesians 1, 4. Long ago, even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us 
in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave Him great pleasure. And skipping back down to 11, it says, Furthermore, because of Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for He chose us from the beginning, and all things happened just as He decided long ago. Now let's skip back over to Romans 8.29, and you'll begin to see the parallel uh, as, as Paul opens up the passage with, God chose us, you see the parallel of the benefits of the elect. It says, For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him, and He gave them right standing with Himself, and He promised them His glory. So I see, I see four benefits here that are laid out by the Apostle Paul. The first one being that he calls us, God calls us to come to himself. In, uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of God, of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help when we need it the most. So you see, something that we need to understand is, is that before Jesus, man was desperately separated from God. In fact, the Bible teaches that, that um, whenever people of faith died uh, before Jesus, they didn't go to heaven. They went to, they went, you know, it talks about how Jesus took the, took the keys of death and he went down, uh, he, descended, he descended to hell, Hades, and, and he set the captives free. Before Jesus, even if you died in faith, you still could not go into the presence of God. Man was desperately separated from the Lord. There was no hope for man. But then Christ came, and now, uh, now He calls us, the elect, those of us who are in Christ, to come to Him. He says, come to Me. And where before, where before coming into the presence of the Lord meant death and judgment, now coming into the presence of the Lord means mercy and grace in the times that we need it the very, very most. You know, so that's an awesome benefit of the elect. The second thing, uh, in Christ we are holy and without fault in His sight. Uh, and this is called justification. Justification is being made right. You are justified. And that's the reason why we can come uh, into God's presence is because, you know, the, uh, Isaiah said, uh, to Israel, he said, he said, God, God's hand is not short that he cannot deliver you, and his ear is not deaf that he cannot hear your cry, but it is your sin that separates you from, from the Lord. And so sin desperately separates us from God. It, it, even in our born-again state, when we choose to live in sin, though it doesn't sever our salvation, it pushes us away from the Lord. It's a spiritual law that sin separates man from God. And so 
before Christ, we were desperately separated from, from, from God. We, we, we were unjustified. Uh, but 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we would be made right with God through Christ. You know, you may know the, uh, I have it memorized in New King James. He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And you know, that word might is significant to me uh, because Christ knew on the cross that not everyone would choose him. He knew from the beginning of time that he was dying for all mankind, but not everybody would choose him. But he died so that we might become the righteousness of God. You know, we go back, I go back to that scripture uh, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And because of that, uh, we are now justified in his sight. The third benefit, we are adopted into God's family. Those of us who are in Christ, we are, we are not only uh, allowed into his presence, but we are adopted into his family. Uh, Paul talked about that a little bit before in Romans chapter 8. If you look up in verse 15, it says, so, sh- so you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we will share his treasures. For everything God gives to his son Christ is ours too. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his sufferings. You see, as part of God's family, as a, as, as a, as a brethren of Christ, we are heirs to the glory of God. That's the inheritance that Christ received. And the Bible says right here that, that what is Jesus's is ours as well if we are in Christ. Now, before, before Jesus came, another, another thing before Jesus came, God's glory, the glory of the Lord was mostly limited to the inner sanctuary of the Jewish temple. One place in the whole world was the only place uh, where, for the most part, where God's glory would appear to man. And the only person who could go in to the inner sanctuary of the Jewish temple was the high priest, and that only once a year, and that only after intense uh, cleansing rituals and, and, and all, this, all this stuff that, that we read about in the Old Testament in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, in order to make him temporarily justified enough to come into the glory and the presence of the Lord. And, and so the glory of the Lord was so limited to man before Jesus. But now, those of us who are the elect, those of us who are in Christ, in this life, we begin to get glimpses of the glory of the Lord. It's those moments whenever we're worshiping or we're praising, and you can feel the Lord around you. It's those moments uh, in your prayer time whenever uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to you from the inside out so much louder than an audible word, a, a voice spoken in the very spirit inside of us. It's, it's when, we, when we read the Bible and it becomes alive and it, it, it joins with the Holy Spirit on the inside of us and speaks to us so loudly. 
and we begin to get these glimpses of uh, of the of the uh, the glory of the Lord as we love Him and as we serve Him. But the problem is, is that we still deal with the flesh. We still deal with these bodies of flesh and sin. And so we only get it in glimpses. But one day, one day the Bible says when we die, in a moment we will be changed. In a moment, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And in that moment, we will know the full glory of the Lord. We will learn uh, the, the, the full satisfaction of, of, of what it is uh, to be truly satiated at the deepest part of our being. Because we'll be forever in the full presence and the glory of the Lord. I want to tell you a quick, cool analogy uh, to think about. You know, sometimes we think about the things of, of, of this world and we think, well, what if that's not in heaven? You know, uh, uh, what, if, what, if, what if that's not a part of heaven? I might miss that, you know. Uh, the, the spe- specifically, I was listening to a, a podcast uh, titled, Is There Sex in Heaven?, and and the uh, the the guy he's a he's a heaven aficionado and he doesn't think there will be. There's some people that think there is, but but the point of it was is that so many people get so caught up in the things of this world, and and they they you know I've heard people lost people say uh, you know well I'm going to party in heaven so I don't want to go there you know it's and stupid stuff like that. But uh, what I wanted to share was is that at the end of the podcast, they read a quote by C.S. Lewis. And, and the quote said, um, said upon uh, explaining the uh, relations between a husband and a wife being the greatest uh, satisfaction on earth, or, or one of the greatest satisfactions on earth, the, the boy might ask, well, they must be eating chocolates in there, Right? Because to the young boy, chocolates are the greatest satisfaction to him. It's the highest level that he knows. And, and, and not understanding those things which he doesn't understand, he clings to those things which he does. And likewise, you know, there's, there's and I'm botching this. I wish I would have studied it more. I'm going off the cuff here. But, but likewise, we don't, you kind of get where I'm going. Google the quote, C.S. Lewis, uh, Chocolates in Heaven. Uh, but likewise, we know these things on earth, and we've only had glimpses of the things in heaven. But when we get to heaven, and we understand the full satiation at the spirit level, the things of this world will mean nothing to us. That's what, that's what I'm getting at. I shouldn't have gone off the cuff. I feel like I botched it. <laughs> uh, number four. The fourth benefit of the elect is glorification. You know, so many people think that the prize of salvation is heaven. That's not the prize of heaven. I mean, that's not the prize of salvation. Heaven is not the prize of salvation. The Bible teaches that the prize of salvation is the ability to live forever in the presence of the Lord. That's the prize of salvation. 
Heaven is simply the place where we inherit our treasure, where we inherit our prize, which is God, which is relationship with God, but it is not the treasure itself. Let me read you something here. Uh, Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. It says, What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These perishable bodies of ours are not able to live forever. But let me tell you a wonderful secret. God has revealed to us. Not all of us will die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment. In the blinking of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, the Christians who have died will be raised with transformed bodies. And then we who are living will be transformed so that we will never die. For our perishable earthly bodies must be transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die. When this happens, when our perishable earthly bodies have been transformed into heavenly bodies that will never die... Then at last the scriptures will come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives gives sin its power. How we thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through Christ our Lord. Amen. So that glory that we received as the elect, the, the, the glorification that, we're, that we inherit with Christ is bodies, renewed bodies, that will live forever and are able to ever dwell in the presence of the Lord. And that is the glory that we will receive. And those are just uh, some of the many benefits of... Uh, of the electing God. And it's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing to understand. And you know, I think, I think that the enemy tries to make things more difficult than they are to try to bring confusion into our hearts, make us doubt, make us question, bring division. Uh, but it's important that we address these, these difficult passages, you know. And, um, you know, real quick, there's just one more reason that it's important to understand that um, that God chose us, and the reason that it's important to understand that is, is that it ties into the greater biblical truth that God is sovereign. That God is absolutely and completely and totally sovereign. And so, just in closing here, I, I want to read a couple of scriptures. I, I've got them in my notes, so I can just read through them real quick here uh, about the sovereignty of God. Uh, the first one we've already read like four times tonight, Ephesians 1.11. It says, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and, and the last part says, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Uh, Isaiah 45.7 says, I create the light and make the darkness. I send good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. Uh, Daniel 4.35, all the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. 
No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? Uh, and then Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. And so in closing, I just want to declare that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that God chose you and he chose me before we were ever born, and God is intimately and lovingly in control of your life as much as you'll let him be. Amen? So let's stand up and let's pray together. Uh, Lord God, we thank you so much for your word, God. We thank you that it is living and active and sharp, God. Powerful, Lord God, to equip us for every good work, Lord God. Lord, we thank you that it, it shows us what we're doing wrong and teaches us to do what is right, God. And so, Lord, I pray today that your word would pierce deep into our hearts, Lord God. Father God, that we could, uh, like, like Paul did, Lord, that we would use what you have done as a catapult and a motivator to live that walk of faith, to live as a, as a child of the light, Lord. And God, uh, we just thank you today for all these benefits, God. I, I'm just going to say them one more time, God, and thank you for them. And I pray that you would nail them down now into the good soul of our hearts, God. So, Lord, I, I thank you, God, that as the elect that you call us to you, God. That, Father God, that we can come to you and expect mercy and grace, Lord. God, I thank you, Father, that, that as the elect, Lord God, that you have justified us, Lord. Lord, I rebuke every condemnation of the enemy in Jesus' name, Lord. I thank you, God, that, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Lord. God, I thank you, Father, that, that when the enemy would come against us and condemn us, Lord, that we can stand in the justification of Jesus Christ and say, I am justified by the blood of the Lord because he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you, God, that we are adopted into your own family, Lord. And God, that we inherit the glory, the eternal life, the eternal satisfaction, the eternal unity with you in, in your presence, God. And Lord, I thank you, God, that we are glorified. Not that we will be glorified, God, but that we are glorified, God. For our salvation is sealed by the Holy Spirit. He has come and He has confirmed it in our hearts, God. And Lord, we believe, Lord, that, that no matter what happens in this life, that we can look forward to living in bodies that will never die and that will forever live in the glory and the awesomeness and the majesty that is Your presence, O oh God. And Lord, we just, we just submit ourselves to You, God. We submit ourselves to Your sovereignty. Lord, we submit ourselves to your purpose and your plan for our lives, God. Lord, we lay ourselves down at your feet, Lord. We say, send me, Lord. Say, send me, Lord. In your sovereign plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.